There are so many delicious looking people coming in here. They're all wearing their latex and leather and strappy out, you know, there's this woman wearing like feathers over her nipples and like just straps, mostly her whole outfit is just straps. And there's men wearing lace and men wearing leather. And I have really big hair, it's kind of exciting. Usually I have like Marsha Brady hair that kind of parts down the middle and I tuck behind my ears. But tonight I have rock and roll hair because it's the rock and roll month here at Supper Club, and we're doing bondage night, so we have extra rock and roll, extra in our bondage. And not only do we have bondage, but we have three suspension bondage riggers. Topologist, who is doing a suspension right now with his lovely partner. She's wearing star pasties, shiny star pasties, and what are the, booty shorts? Yes, and they, they are very bootyful and fabulous very fetishy shoes and he's just now tying up uh, she's got like this harness over around her waist and then also around one leg so she's going to be kind of on her side I imagine and actually spinning around in the air so I mean of course everything unfolds the way it does and you never really know exactly what's going to happen but he's famous topologist is famous for the swizzle seat, which is, you know, bondage lingo for I don't know what, but swizz seat? Yes, something like that. Anyway, it's very technical and bondagey, and that's what bondage is about, because it's like, guys get into bondage when they really like precision, and women get into bondage too. We'll talk about rain to grace suspension in just a moment. But the thing is, is it, it requires a lot of patience, because it takes a long time to tie someone up, so you really have to be into it really get into it and, and like get the precision of like how to make the ropes lay flat against the skin and you know kind of do little patterns on the skin because you actually get like marks on your skin from the rope right and that's a fetish in itself so people do all sorts of things like oh look I'm showing off my rope marks you know ooh, look at these who aren't those good ones kind of thing so we have three bondage riggers topologist who's performing right now he's starting his suspension and then Tom Foolery has brought a pulley system so he can actually raise and lower his very willing fray and spin her around on the rescue swivel also rain de gray is going to do a spinning inversion with Juliet and they're going to do like a little surprise performance where she like goes up to start singing and then there's a takedown and it's exciting so not only bondage, but also aerial and art performances. There's a hoop aerialist, uh, and then Cara Nova. Chloe is the uh, hoop aerialist, and then um, Cara Nova is the pole acrobat, and she'll be going on later. Also, we're gonna have a piercing scene. It's Nomad Piercing, and the artist's name is Samar Soriano and she's going to do like kind of a ritual erotic art piercing. She's been doing uh, piercing for a long time. I, this is not her first bondage dinner even. And she does things like, you know, I saw her pierce her cheek with like a, a needle that was also a rose kind of thing, you know? She's also done a bunch of like actual suspensions where they are suspended through hooks in their skin and like flying around. <laughs> I know, I know. It's kind of an advanced maneuver. And then we have Dorian Faust, who is a burlesque dancer. You might know her from Burlesque Basquiat. And she's going to do a performance where she plays, some people think it is the devil, but it's actually not. It's uh, a pagan god. And do you remember Melissa, uh, Maleficent, the villain from, oh, was it Sleeping Beauty or Snow White? I'm not sure. But anyway, um, she has the big horns, and you know, one arm is up and one arm is down, and the very peaceful expression. It's about balance and harmony, and it's actually, you know, like many images of Satan, it's actually a pagan god that, you know, was co-opted by the Christians in a, you know, in a, in a way to sort of make the imagery consistent throughout the histories. There are a lot of sexy and sex educational people here. Um, JD is standing over there in her fabulous hat and talking to um, Chris, 
from who I've actually interviewed here before, Chris Kiss. So we'll have a lot of people to talk to. Midori is coming, the fabulous bondage rigger. And uh, she does like Ford Femme dominance intensives to help you find your own inner dominant. And we're also going to talk to her assistant who has some surprises for me. Isn't that fun when you can be surprised as well? I'm Monica. Thanks so much for coming to the Bondage Dinner with me, even, you know, even in the podcast, right? That counts. I hope you enjoy it as much as I'm enjoying this. Thanks for listening to Sexploration with Monica. It's so cute to look around and, like, see people, like, they're all cuddled up on the beds and, you know, and we haven't even had the hors d'oeuvres yet. It's fabulous. This is sex. Everyone gets what they want. This is Sexploration. Explore. Play. This is Sexploration with Monica. Sex is proof that God loves us and wants us to have fun. Sexploration with Monica at sexplorationwithmonica.com. Now I'm sitting with Midori, the fabulous... What, what do you call yourself? An educator, a sex uh, educator. Sexuality educator and artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is so nice to be here. Oh my God, I'm looking forward to an evening of decadence. Yeah, it is that. And, mm. you know, the, the gourmet meal and the bondage and the aerial acrobat oh, and yeah. the... Yeah, it's, it's so this a, really is a special place. I mean, as special as San Francisco is, it's such a sensual delight. And, and yeah, thanks for hosting. Oh, us. it's my pleasure. And the, yeah, the theater of beds. We want to put the beds to good use a little bit later on with the after party. Oh my god, and play after party. people who've never been to this place. Okay, things actually do happen on the beds. All right, so um, that's true. Especially I'm just saying, the circus. <laughs> yeah, dress excessively. Yes, and, and comfortably. And you can take it off. That's all yeah. right. Oh, it's a beautiful place. It's very romantic. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So tell us about your bondage scene that you did here with the blow-up dolls for the circus. Oh, really the sexy scene. I didn't quite understand. You had like a lost and found poster. And <laughs> okay, so I was doing this whole funny little, well, it's a circus. Circus mm. needs a clown. Right. Well, my white clown had lost her girlfriend. Mm. The girlfriend had disappeared, and she's wandering around looking for her girlfriend with a missing person poster. And then slowly, this giant monster, this arms and legs and many-headed creature starts stalking the white clown. Made out of blow-up dolls. Yes. This monster of a thousand blow-up dolls. And then the white clown, that's me, and battles valiantly this evil (laughs) monster of many legs made of blow-up dolls. And I battle it and I stab it and I fight it and then as I stab it and I fight it and inside it I find my girl clown. Your beloved. My beloved. Killed by the monster. Was swallowed by the monster. Like, you know, in Little Red Riding Hood, right? And so I battled the monster and I extracted my beloved out of there and happily ever after. And was that influenced by some kind of like Japanese theater or something? Because it seemed very like, I'm going to use the word artistic, but I also think of the word like, you know, the Buto theater where there was a lot of like handshaking and like signposting. Do you know what I mean? Actually, it was more inter- um, influenced by Italian clown and comedy, tragic comedy. So classic Punch and Judy. And the, the girl clown, my, my beloved, is Samar, who's this amazing flesh hook performer. She's going to be performing tonight. Oh, fantastic. And she was my girl clown. And oh. she and I do the goofy Punch and Judy show as the two characters. And we, we take the whole bondage stuff and twist it around. You should have seen the, the show that we did with Donuts. You did a show with Donuts? Donuts. <laughs> what what did had, you do with those donuts? I had four dozen donuts. From Krispy Kreme donuts, all individually wrapped, and I was giving them to the audience. And there was this girl clown following me, and she wanted a donut, but I wouldn't give it to her. And then I had this donut hanging in midair in a donut suspension, and I told her I pantomimed that she could get that. Well, her skirt was actually made of bungee cords, and I unfurled her skirt, handed it to the audience, and then the audience pulled and pulled while she was jumping and jumping, trying to get the donut. Now, once she got the donut, the donut was connected to a bucket of chocolate syrup. So she grabbed the donut to eat it, the chocolate syrup dumped all over her. 
uh, it's a good and piece. I remember that you like messy yeah sadistic punch and judy right nice so tell me about the A.K. Bana bondage performance that we might do at a supper club oh dinner. yes 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 I have this ongoing series of binding people into beautiful floral Ikebana abstract sculptures beautiful things and then they're beautiful objects to behold but then I take their bodies and paint them with sumi ink and print with their body into abstract prints I will then take those abstract prints and embellish them with gold foil and make wall hangings also makes lasting. Yes, my, my particular Japanese Ikebana-esque tribute to Eve Klein, if you will. Cool. So as we're talking, Dorian Faust is coming out, and she's wearing, this is a like the Maleficent headdress that she's got on, is actually an homage to a, a pagan god or goddess. Um, and I unfortunately can't remember the name, but we're going to talk to Dorian about it after, in just a moment. Um, but Midori was telling me as she came in that you were stuck in Hurricane Sandy for your most recent Ford Femme. Yes, I was in New York City for Ford FM, the Women's Dominance Weekend Intensive. And just as we finished that, actually I had to cut it half an hour short, I graduated all my amazing, dominant, sexy, powerful <laughs> women, and then I kicked them out the door right. just in time, right before the subways closed. It was a remarkable thing. And you know, in a catastrophe or disaster, I can't think of a better place to be than among New Yorkers. Because I saw the most amazing acts of generosity and kindness and pizza. And pizza. Pizza. Oh, that's right, because there was one place in Manhattan that opened and had pizza. Because coal-fired ovens don't need electricity. And Lombardi's Pizza had amazing, righteous New York pizza all through the disaster. And, and everybody in the, the workers had uh, flashlight headlights on, and they had lamps operated, rigged up from car batteries, and cops and emergency workers and bedraggled work neighbors were all sitting in there having <laughs> pizza. pizza. Oh, that's so awesome. It was the best. Oh, wow, look at this. Yeah, Dorian Faust is really cool. So she's moving super slowly. Like shimmying and shaking, and her very expressive and curvy features are moving slowly and sort of in a like sad and contemplative sort of expression. She's absolutely mysterious and divine. And gorgeous and curvy and yeah, she's she's really gorgeous. I, I will post some pictures of the event. Um, on my Tumblr and my Flickr. So you can go to tumblr.sexplorationmcmonica.com or however that works out, or you can Google it. But yeah, she's, uh, she's gorgeous. And she actually really thinks about her bondage performances, you know, like really thinks about the symbolism and, and what they mean. So yeah, I think it's going to be it's stunning. Yeah. Okay, if you all have never been to Monica's parties, you guys have to go. RopeDojo.com, and I want to introduce you to my dear friend here, Lydia Nin. She's a remarkable woman, and she's been chronicling her own experience and being a responsible parent and a sex-positive, vibrant woman, and balancing that and sharing that with us. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the fabulous story. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Supper Club, San Francisco's Bondage Night, Bad Dog. Come here, come here, sit, 
sit, sit, bang, bang, play dead. Roll over. Now hop Jinky's leg. Sex Love Joy. Sexlovejoy.com. Yes, it is. Oh, great. Okay. So, as Midori was telling me, you are a parent. And I know that sometimes many parents feel like in order to protect their children, they have to just tell them that sex doesn't exist, right? And you were gotten here by the stork. Right. Yeah, that doesn't happen at my house. Well, I imagine not because you can't, I mean, that doesn't really prepare you for anything no. once you finally, you know, start having sex yeah. behind your parents' back. Oh, yeah, exactly. And you're totally ill-prepared for yes. the realities of sex, safer sex, uh, I mean, any of it. Or, or, and relationships. Yeah. That's, that's the hardest part is relationships. Yeah. Picking the right partner. Picking the right person to have sex with. Yeah. That was my challenge for my whole adolescence. And I didn't know, like, how to... Like, you know, how to be in a safe space, you know, like how to make sure that my partner was gonna respect me or, yeah. you know, how to, yeah, any of that stuff, you know, and I actually really internalized some really terrible message. You know, back then I just thought that you couldn't trust men. And then how are you supposed to have relationships if you can't trust them? Well, my thing was I confused really great sex for good relationships. And love. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, because you have all that oxytocin, you're yes. like, I must love you. Yes. I know. So good. I'm, I'm in love. Yes. Yes. And, and then you get in love with the not 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 people that are very nice yeah, to you. With unfortunately. Bad, bad guy after bad guy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So how do you prevent that from happening to your kids? Well, we talk a lot about um, what they want from every relationship they have, even friendships. What they uh, how they are supposed to treat one another. Because I have three boys, and there's always a power struggle. So we talk a lot about. You know, every relationship that you have sets up what relationships you have in the future. And, you know, I'm hoping that they'll come to me and that they will have a lot of my friends that are in the sex positive industry to go to. They can't come to mom. And if not, they can Auntie Monica. <laughs> yes. Send them my way. And one of um, the friends that I um, introduced my sons to and that I hope that they get to play with more is Ariel um, Ariel Clark. Clark. Yes. yes, of yes. the sex positive parent. Yes. Com. <laughs> and that's somebody that, you know, like when our when my kids got together with her kids, it was like, wow, like these are amazing group of kids. And they were taught they were breaking down like misogyny on the Disney Channel. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> so awesome. Did you hear breaking down the they're like deconstructing the misogyny as they're watching a Disney show. Can yeah. you imagine? And so, <laughs> so that's like, you know, she's raising these great boys. And I'm like, you know, that's how that's how you do it. Parents are really the ones that are gonna change the world. Yeah. And you know, because you can brainwash the kids differently. Yes. And with Ariel, like she is somebody who is a great resource for, you know, the queer community and people of color. And having her kids around my kids, you know, it's, it gives them a different perspective. And I think that a lot of heterosexual couples have to be the ones that are breaking down the barriers for their queer community and, you know, working together. Because that's, you know, I don't know what kind of relationships my kids are going to have. So I want to introduce them to many different people as possible. Right. So how old are your kids and what are you doing for age appropriateness? Well, right now, um, my kids, my oldest is almost 13, my middle one is nine, and my youngest is seven. And honestly, my boys have been in a bubble because they were homeschooled up until this year. So, oh wow. Yes, that must be a tricky transition. <laughs> well, it's we're only gonna my... have to have some conversations, kids. <laughs> it was only my oldest that went back to normal school. So now I'm trying to figure out like where is he at and what kind of conversations does he want to have? because it's not necessarily the conversations that I think are age appropriate for him, it's what he's ready for. And that's the hard part because I might want to put too much information on him quickly. So, you know, he's, he's got certain books, you know, like what's going on in my body and things like that. But sometimes he's just like, I don't want to talk about this. So consent is very big for me. It's like, if he doesn't want to talk about it, then we're not talking about it. Well, totally. Just because, I mean, it's interesting because one of the tenets of the rape culture yeah. is that if you have more power, you just do what I say. Yeah. And parents, unfortunately, do this all the time. They're like, I don't have a good reason. I am tired. You just need to do what I'm saying. And, and which makes sense because you want to keep your kids safe. But also, if you're really going to challenge yourself 
to like do things where you know might doesn't make right. Yeah. You know, so when your kid becomes the strongest kid on the playground, he's not gonna just make everybody do what he says. He's yeah. gonna like, I don't know, let's collaborate. <laughs> you know, let's let's share our power, right? I don't know. Yeah, let's be let's do some art. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I'm dreaming here, but. You know, like, it's nice when you can start to undo some of the structures in society by, you know, making sure even that your parenting is consensual. Yeah, and my thing is, it's like little things, like teaching them that it's their bodies. Like, my, my husband and I, one of the biggest battles is like, you know, his hair is too long, we're gonna have to cut his hair. No, that's his hair, it's his body, it's the haircut they want, you know. Right. It, it, you our, should have autonomy yeah. over your body, but oftentimes parents are like, no, you can't dress like that. Yeah. Because I have the power here. <laughs> my husband's so against skinny jeans, and he's like, I don't <laughs> want my son wearing skinny jeans. I'm like, it's his body. Right. So everything. He wants to wear skinny jeans. Yeah. So if they have the autonomy to be able to even pick you know, their haircuts, how they take care of their bodies, then they know, you know, when somebody's trying to do something that they are not, you know, comfortable with, they've already had, you know, since they're like four, five, six, you know, I cut my hair the way I want. So I think it starts when they're little and it's not just the birds and the bees talk, right? it's everything that you choose to do for them. So how's that working for you? Do you have, have you noticed, like, especially now that your kids are getting teenagery? Like, has that been a big transition? Are they getting more rebellious, less rebellious? How's that going? Um, my I mean, you don't maybe not want to talk too detailed <laughs> but about your kids. But anyway, I'm all ears. My oldest is not that rebellious. So it's funny because he talks back, but he's not really that rebellious. I'm, it's my middle one that I'm ready for. And the youngest one, he's like the one his, his hormones are already kicking in and he's seven. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you're checking. Like, my oldest wasn't like that. So it's every child is so different. Right. And that's where having that community of other parents of like, how are you doing this? Okay, I'm doing it like this. And you know, even with like the Mama Sutra, she's a great resource. And you know, like having, being able to read their, their blogs and going back and forth. Sex. <laughs> that's three. He's wearing a very fetching jumpsuit right now. Sex. And he likes to talk about sex on the radio too. I like what? Talk about sex on the radio. I like to safely bareback my boyfriend frequently safely oh. we've been tested and we're monogamous tested, tested, tested. yes they're fluid bonded okay we can talk about more of that later okay so before we were distracted by our beautiful friend three what were we talking about well about having other resources That's like right. for me other it takes a village yeah for me when i came into this it was trying to figure out you know through my writing about my own relationship with my husband and now it's like, oh my God, I'm trying to navigate my own sexuality still, but I have these three kids that I'm raising, so who are my resources? And that's why it's so important to, living here in San Francisco, it's great because we have a great community, but these people are also writing online. And, you know, we're um, gonna be doing a panel at Catalyst in DC. So it's gonna be a panel of moms, you know, raising, all of us have preteens, so it's gonna be great. Preteens, <laughs> woo! That was my experience of school with pre-teenage years are so awkward. So I'm gonna wrap it up and we're gonna, uh, how can people find you? They can find me at sexlovejoy.com and I'm sexlovejoy everywhere on all sorts of social media. Like Twitter and Facebook yes. and everything. Yes. Fabulous, thank you so much. Thanks for oh, coming thank on you. Sexlovejoy with Monica. <laughs> and now I'm talking to Dorian Faust who just finished her beautiful burlesque act, and that word that started with a B that I can never remember is? Uh, Baphomet. <laughs> Baphomet, that's right, Baphomet. Okay, so Baphomet, and you said that the villain was Maleficent. Well, no, actually I developed the act in the intentions of doing a Baphomet piece, a Baphomet homage, and I don't think goat horns are very sexy, and Baphomet is originally a goat, so I went for ram horns, and then, so now people are like, oh, I love your Maleficent act. I'm like, no, it's not the Disney villain, but at the same time, what are you gonna tell a fan? Like, are you gonna? Yeah, they love it. <laughs> yeah, I so. want your autograph, it's so amazing. Right, so I'm just like, like okay. Yeah, it's thank you for my Maleficent act. Okay, yeah. but Baphomet, tell us about the history and the imagery of Baphomet, because there's a, it's like a pagan god, right? Yeah, Eliphaz Levi, a Freemason, way back when, came up with Baphomet to uh, display the duality and the balance between male and female energies, masculine and feminine energies. 
as opposed to Christian imagery that was it was it ended up becoming a satanic figure sort of because like in Christianity it's not okay for a woman to be in touch with her masculine side and be in touch with her own sexual power you know and it's not okay for a man to be effeminate or know about you know his feminine power so those two combined made Baphomet an adversarial figure and which is now the cur current avatar for uh, the Church of Satan and a lot of or left-hand path organizations. But when you go back to its roots and paganism, then it's just a balance and duality between male and female, which I really appreciate. So I chose to do a number paying homage instead of doing like a yin and yang number because that doesn't inspire me. <laughs> so how did you make this Baphomet character into a burlesque act? It's funny, I, I was booked for a Hubba Hubba Review goth show and I really didn't know what to do because I would say that my performances are dark and glamorous, not necessarily goth and glamorous. So, and I've been listening to this song by Coil, Teenage Lightning 2005 for like years. And it just, it's a minimalist sort of droning goth piece. And it just repeats and repeats and repeats the same, the same music and gets louder and louder and louder. So I was like, hmm, I guess I could use this because it's very weird and ominous sounding. It's funny, I decided the day of the show, okay, I'll just use this song. And then I came out and I just moved very slowly and that's how the piece came to be. I kind of channeled Baphomet instead of like choreographing something for, for weeks and weeks. Let's talk a little bit about your costuming and about some of the movements that you do. I mean, you're wearing kind of like this geisha kimono thing and your makeup is all sparkly and super colorful. Mm -hmm. What, yellow eyes and blue eyes? It's blue and, eyes, and, yeah. Oh, the yellow is the sparkly. Yeah. The, like the gold sparkly makeup. Yes. And red, 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 red lips. Yeah, because Baphomet is also about ego and projection of the self at the highest form. So it was kind of like, I just want to exaggerate everything. And with the cape, I was actually given that cape as a gift by someone who went to a trunk show I thought it was ostentatious enough and, you know, like I said, projection of ego, like it's big. I take up a lot of space. Just moving really slow and really being comfortable in my body and not having to do a lot, I also felt was a good esoteric representation of Baphomet through dance. And what about the facial expressions? Because you almost look sad, but you don't move your face very much. Sad? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I try to come off as like... Distant? I, yeah. Yeah, and and ah. and as as, as, as almost goddess like, you know, right. yeah, mm -hmm. like above above the situation. That's what I try to Got go it. for. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, she seems. Is it melancholy? She just because you just didn't like you weren't really making eye contact. You weren't smiling. It was a very non-traditional burlesque. Act. That's me, non-traditional adversarial burlesque seductress. Wow, <laughs> Dorian Faust. How can people find you? Facebook.com slash Dorian Faust. And very soon in December, DorianFaust.com will be mine. So. <laughs> awesome. All right, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show, and thanks for performing at the Bondage Dinner. Yes, I had such a good time. I hope you'll have me back soon. Love to. Awesome. Not that we need it all for the trip. But once you get locked into a serious drug collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. So she's doing like a Hunter S. Thompson impression while doing aerial hula hooping. Awesome! <laughs> She's just like a little spinning angel, but also like wearing these really funny stripy sports socks and a Hawaiian shirt and aviator sunglasses and like booty Daisy Duke shorts with orange underwear. And her whole outfit is hilarious and orange and she sort of, you know, rotates in between flopping around and being, you know, inebriated like Hunter S. Thompson, like, and then you know, being laser pointer, swooping gracefully through this hula hoop, spinning in the air. And now she's hanging from the tops of her feet, acting like it's no big deal. <laughs> Hi, 
does this thing where she's all like, oh, I'm so imprecise. I'm just flopping, flapping around like a butterfly. Only then she suddenly does the splits in midair and then she's making a C shape with her back, only upside down, 15 feet above the ground spinning. She can just do the split. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, she's just toying with us. So this is Samar Sorvino. Am I saying your name right? No. <laughs> How do you say your name? Samar Soriano. Soriano. I usually go by Lady Samar, it's just easier. Lady Samar, no, that totally makes sense. And you are with Nomad Piercing? Uh, I do work at Nomad Body Piercing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. And, okay, so what she did tonight was she's wearing these awesome little booty shorts, like latex, right? Yes. And you, like, had needles in your forehead in sort of a pyramid shape. Yes. And actually, as you went around the room to pour some sugar on me, you would insert more needles into your revealed flesh in front of people so they could see, oh, yes, clearly that's in fact what you're doing. And you went all around the room and then removed the needles quite seductively from your forehead and just let the blood run down your face. In fact, luckily, they even put down a dart. Yeah, I had them do that ahead of time. More for the beer, because usually I never get blood anywhere, but knowing that the tarps were actually down, I kind of just let it go. Right. And that way, you don't have to feel like, oh, I, mm," you could just celebrate it. Because, I mean, that's the facial expression that you were making. It's just like, yeah, blood running down. And for so many people, you know, we really fear, fear blood. We fear pain. Yeah, for sure. I, it's... There's more to it than just the pain. Um, as far as performance for tonight, actually, I get a bit of stage fright, and so when it comes to that, I don't even feel the pain. That doesn't oh, really? register. It's more, everybody's looking at me, oh my gosh, okay, <laughs> breathe. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I guess I know how you feel, because you know when you're about ready to go on, you just don't really. But don't you get both the endorphins from the needle play and also from the performance. I mean, you must be so high at the end of a performance. Definitely. Yeah, and I feel so great. And then once the performance is over, I feel even better. Right, (laughs) yeah. So as you're becoming a needleplay expert, I mean, I'm sure you had needle experiences that were more and less, you know, celebratory. Sometimes they're spiritual. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, you're going through some kind of cathartic experience and you just want to get the pain out. What do you use needle play for other than performance and celebration? Well, at this stage of my life, I don't really use needle play very much in my life outside of performance. Mm. Um, I am also a a flesh hook suspension artist. And so when it comes to something that's more cathartic and I really need to either release something or... I just need the intensity of the experience. The pain induces it, but there's, you know, there's obviously a lot more to it. I usually do body, like, hook suspension. Mm. Um, As far as needle play goes, for shows like this, it's really simple and easy for me. And Because you're just using tiny little hypodermic needles. You don't have, like, huge meat hooks through your skin that you're hanging from a hook from and flying around. No. <laughs> yeah, this is the easy kind. Precisely. <laughs> so what was the first time that you did that? What was that like? What was your experience like? Was it part of the Sundance r- ritual or, or how did you how did you decide that you wanted to try that? No, um, I've always been, well, not always, I've for quite some time been involved in piercing and tattooing scene, um, just for my interests. And I had seen and heard of hook suspension. And when I actually moved to San Francisco a little, almost 11 years ago now, I saw Alan Faulkner suspend from hooks. And I had a friend here in San Francisco who owns a shop called Body Manipulations. His name is Paul Stoll. And he actually facilitated my very first suspension ever. Yes, but why would you think it was a good idea to put hooks in your skin and then hang from them? Because most people are like, oh, pain, and oh, that could damage me, and ah, you, that loom. 
you know, it's a pretty uncomfortable idea. I had no idea what to expect. Oh, I didn't know if I would hate it, if I would love it. I was terrified. And you're hanging there from hooks in your skin. <laughs> I was a little terrified, but I was ready to embrace it. And initially that was part of it is I wanted to overcome the fear of it. And, you know, I had my friend that had introduced me to Paul uh, who had also previously suspended. She told me it was horrible and it was the most painful thing she'd ever experienced. And it was just terrible for her. And she told me, you know, she really tried to talk me out of it, but I was determined to do it, one, as a challenge, you know, to overcome the fear. And then also, I know that just myself personally, I am always going, 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 and it's hard for me to slow down. And I learned at a young age that, like, through meditation and even painful incidents, like, it, it immediately grounded me. And I was able to completely stop everything else around me and focus. And so, you know, I had that kind of going in the back of my head and I was a little curious. And so I suspended for the first time. And initially I had to, I went up and I came back down. Um, Paul's wife at the time, she wanted to take photos. So I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear a corset and get all fancy. But being cinched up in a corset and not able to breathe very well and going up by hooks uh yeah it sounds hard <laughs> it was a little overstimulating so i had to come down kind of relax a little bit cool myself off because the endorphins and everything that were released made me get really hot so i'd come down calm down for like 10 or 15 minutes and then i went back up and loved it Swung and around. so would they leave the hooks in while you were chilling? Mm-hmm. And then you could just get hooked back into like a carabiner or something, and then they kind of swing you around. Correct. Yeah. Right. And I loved it from the get-go. It was... Really? Why? Why? Because there was more to it than the pain. I mean, obviously the endorphins kick in, so the pain isn't as intense. It's more, you know, it's this mental block. The pain is there, but you get past it. And you... How? You relax, you breathe, and it's like the most generic way that I can explain it to people to where people understand it more is through childbirth. People voluntarily get pregnant, kind of destroy their bodies to some, you know, to some sense. I mean, not destroy them permanently, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a full experience. You're going to blow up like a watermelon and then you're going to have a baby. Yeah, and it's the watermelon's going to come out of there. Yeah, it's a it's pretty intense. Although you do get all the oxytocin with childbirth and it really helps you move that way. In fact, you can have an orgasm while you're having a baby. <laughs> www.orgasmicbirth.com. Check it out. So anyway, <laughs> I know. But so this is a different kind of, you know, intentional body modification, which you do also get all sorts of like a cascade of brain chemicals. But, I, you know, I just wonder because you're not, I don't think you get oxytocin. You get like the endorphins from, you know, fighting or, you know, something like that. I mean, I remember when I got my navel pierced, and when I got pierced here at the Bondage Center for funsies, like it's just like drinking an entire glass of champagne all at once, you know, and suddenly you're just completely high. Yeah, it definitely happens. I won't doubt, yeah, I won't. <laughs> I, I do like that part of it, but that's not why I do it any, at all. Anymore, you don't do it for the endorphins? No, I don't, I don't think that I ever have, but it's very clear when I do it that the endorphins are rushing through me because... Even when I'm doing shows that, I, you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, this is a very serious show. I always get photos of me back where I have the biggest grin, grin on your face. <laughs> yeah, right. We're so serious. We're piercing our faces with needles that have roses on the end of it. And you're like, this is fun. <laughs> okay, so what does it really feel like as you have hooks in your skin and they start to pull you off of the ground and you're, you're actually being supported by these holes through your skin and what how much skin do they have through the loop there it depends on the devices that are used there's different style hooks and so depending on the hook that you use there's you know and depending on your body size and the amount of fat you have under skin how many hooks you're going by I mean there's so many different variables so you can have lots of hooks and then you wouldn't need as much skin and then you could have bigger pieces no you depending on the hook the actual hook, that pretty much determines how much skin 
Yeah, I mean, technically, yeah, that determines how much skin that you would use because it has to be appropriate for the specific cook that you're using. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Because you don't want it to rip out? Correct. You don't want it to rip out. You don't want it to tear at all. You don't want it to bruise excessively. Uh, you know, there's so many other things to think about as well as, you know, hook placement, if you're going to be static or dynamic. So if you're going to move around and flap like a bird or something? Yeah, if you're going to be spinning around and moving around, Ooh, usually right. you need, you know, more hooks because the dynamic load, you know, multiplies, you know, at least three times or more, I'm, I'm sure more, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if you're bouncing. I mean, I saw Joshua David's suspension as you did, you were there and you were part of this scene with the roses and everything. Um, so he was just kind of floating and did like some ballet moves up there. And how, I mean, as I saw the hooks in his skin, like it would pull the skin up, like as if you're holding a cat by the back of its neck. You exactly. know what I mean? And so, like, I can't imagine what that would feel like all over your, all over your back, holding you up. It's impossible to describe accurately. It's like trying to describe an orgasm to somebody. Yeah, that is really hard. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joshua David ex described it like wearing pajamas, only your whole body is pajamas. And then you get picked up by it, and it's kind of like, oh, huh, interesting. So, yeah, I always think of a, a mama cat and the, you know, grabbing it by the back of the neck. And I, I imagine that it would feel both secure and I, I imagine that it does hurt because you're pulling on these you know, these, these cuts in your skin. It does hurt, and depending on where the hooks are, also other things come into play. Um, I did a suspension a couple of weeks ago in Oslo in Norway, and we had a few hooks in our chest and in our ribs, um, and they were mirrored on the back as well. And for that suspension, it wasn't so much the pain of the hooks that was distracting for me, it was the fact that all of this pressure was being pulled up against like my rib cage so in order to breathe i kind of had to breathe like use my muscles to breathe against the weight of my body ah, so it made it that sounds very difficult yeah it, it made it a little difficult and for that you know i got through it fine but it was a little stressful because i kind of have a fear of being like suffocating not being able to breathe yeah very rational feel there you do quite need to breathe so, and she was in Norway with some, I don't know, rock star of body piercing <laughs> that was making Midori like totally freak out. Like, who was that? He's not a rock star of body piercing, but he's been around for a very long time. He's an amazing performance artist. He's down in Australia. His name is Stellark. Stellark, okay. Yes, he And is... what's the big deal about him? Why is Midori like, oh my God? Well, he's been doing body suspensions and performance. Uh, performances using his body with um, mechanical instruments. I mean, he has a mechanical arm that it's so hard to, ex to explain. There's so many different things. It, he has a website, I believe it's Stellark, S-T-E-L-A-R-C.org. Mm. And he has a lot of his artwork on there. And that's, again, he's very unique. And so it's kind of a little hard to describe too many of his things. Mm. I mean, he has an, like an implant in his arm that looks like an ear. Oh. He's a very fascinating man. But he's, <laughs> he's like modification of the body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's been around doing suspensions and amazing performance art since, gosh, I think the early 70s. I mean, before I was even born. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I got to interview Fakir Musafar, which was amazing. And he's been doing it since the 50s. Not, yeah. you know, not as... Not in the same way, I'm sure, but, you know, also, like, with corsets and piercing and the suspensions and the rain dance. But, I mean, it's amazing, the history here. Yeah, Stellark, I don't even know how far back he's been doing. I'm sure probably just as long. Um, I'm just aware of when his work was surfacing that mm -hmm. I've researched was in the early 70s. Mm -hmm. And he's just this amazing performance artist, and I never thought I would ever meet him, let alone be asked to perform in his piece that was shown on mainstream Norwegian television, I think this week, actually. Wow, that's pretty open-minded of Norwegians. It was, yeah, 
tell me about it. We were all, there were five of us hanging like from flesh hooks, completely naked from wow. a five person mobile. We we're all moving, you know, independently and yet we were all connected. So yeah, this man, Stellark. I never thought I would meet him and I befriended him. I performed in his piece and it kind of blew my mind. Yay, that's awesome. So, I mean, not only is piercing a performance, but it can also be a kind of a spiritual ritual, something that you could do to experience. It's like almost like a, a trip that you can take yourself on, like a spiritual experience. For sure. Um, I have some friends, actually. Okay, so I work at Nomad Body Piercing, and I'm going to, for our next shop meeting, I'm suggesting that we do an energy pool. And that involves piercing, and it involves flesh hooks. But instead of hanging from our flesh, we tie off to each other. And so we're going to all be connected and pulling against each other so we can feel our own energy from each other. And we can, you know, I'm going to do it so that we're facing each other so we can see our expressions and really feel it. And what I've instructed everybody is that I would like this you know, to be, you know, this is our little family, and I would like everybody to come with an intention, whether it's to begin a project, to let go of something that's maybe hurting them, or, you know, and yeah, it can be very spiritual, for sure. Yeah, I just love the um, intention of the work that you guys do as you... I mean, the Sundance ritual has a lot of history in terms of like a rite of passage and, but also like as you're doing your performance, you know, as the, the blood was running down your face and making stripes, it looked, it looked so primal and so, you know, fierce, but also like you're just laughing and you're just like letting the blood like almost drip into your eyes. Like it would fill the crevice of the little spots meaning underneath her eyes, like you know, and then drip down in stripes on her face, almost like um, almost like the, the British flag a little bit. <laughs> it's really funny. And she wore it like that until it dried and just like was hanging out, getting a drink, talking to people, smiling and laughing. Yeah, I, you know, I do enjoy doing shows here at the Supper Club because it shows kind of mainstream, peop mainstream people that do come in here. It, something that they're afraid of and I make it playful and I make myself approachable and I smile and it takes a lot of the fear away and it lets people feel welcome to come and talk to me and you know they ask me questions like you're asking me but they you know it's it changes it for them and if I can open somebody up you know I don't expect people to go and do this but if I can open their minds and not be so necessarily maybe judgmental or you know just to kind of appreciate it for what it is and not associate it with something negative because I don't see it as something negative right it's funny because I every now and then with the show I love to try something new live on the radio you know what I mean and so I've gotten set on fire on the radio I've gotten electrocuted on the radio which is a terrible idea because <laughs> you are holding electrical equipment and what is that electrical equipment gonna do fail and break and be very expensive so anyway don't get electrocuted on the radio but do get well I don't know if getting pierced on the radio is such a great idea and here's why because you get so many endorphins that like everything is bright and shiny and beautiful and fun and everyone's nice and what was that question you were going to ask insightfully about deconstructing <laughs> dominant culture paradigms around alternate sexuality expressions no idea <laughs> like yeah you're nice what's my name again <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I'm wondering, like, what got you to try it at first? Like, what got you into body modification? What got you into piercing? Just something new. I mean, honestly, like, I've been doing body piercing, you know, as a kid. I think I pierced myself. I double pierced my ears when I was 15. My parents about killed me. With what? Well, I think I just Did shoved a safety in. pin or something. I, I just pushed an earring through. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used a safety pin, which was also not easy, but an earring I think would be even less. Yeah, it was one of those ones that you get at Claire's that's kind of pointed. I don't know, mildly sharp. Yeah, mildly. Mild. <laughs> oh, that must have taken so long. Yeah. 
Yeah. I pretty much mashed my ear up and bruised it. And yeah, it was pretty awesome. special. Yeah, I did exactly the same thing only with a safety pin. And so it took so long to get that safety pin through, but I wanted my ears pierced so badly. And I was just like, ugh. And finally you get it through because skin is much tougher than it looks. And especially your earlobe. I mean, it's just all really tough skin. And so like finally I get it through and then I don't want to do the other side. And my dad's like, you can't be unbalanced. <laughs> so he just did it for me. But he had a much sharper needle, which was really, I mean, the, ne the needles that they use at piercing studios, like you guys use, so much of a sweeter experience than going to Claire's and using that air gun to force that, you know, need. I mean, sure, it's over quickly, but it's also incredibly painful. <laughs> yeah, those guns are actually really damaging too because that the earring that they put on there is blunt, and so you're shoving, forcing a blunt object through your ear, which is terrible. Our, the needles that we use at the shop are like tri-beveled, they're autoclaves, I mean, yeah, tri-beveling. It, what that mean is it goes like, ah, through your skin rather than, ah. <laughs> I mean, the whole experience of getting pierced at a piercing studio, completely different than getting your ears done as a baby. And I can't even believe they do this to children, like babies. They won't remember it. They'll just be traumatized subconsciously for the rest of their lives. <sighs> well, Samar, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. How can people find your work on the interwebs? Well, I have a website. It's a bit tragic, but... <laughs> I know, artists have trouble keeping up with their websites, but that's okay. Lay it on us. It's ladysamar.com. Okay, good. That's S-A-M-A-R. Thank you so much for coming on Sexploration with Monica. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. You can subscribe to Sexploration with Monica on iTunes and have new episodes delivered automatically. Or download free podcasts at sexplorationwithmonica.com.